welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, oh, hello there. <laughs> what a surprise. October 18, that's what it is. And uh, it's a Monday. And I think a lot of people in Pittsburgh who are pretty blurry-eyed this Monday, given the fact that their Steelers uh, won an ugly overtime game uh, last night. So there's that. I just know there's a lot of sleep-deprived folks around. Um, not so much me. I I have to admit, when the... Uh, Seattle player was lying there on the on the field. I turned it off. I thought, you know, <laughs> it's so bizarre that we're drawn to this game in which beautiful young men uh, are brutalized, brutalize each other. <laughs> I and and the and the constant. Uh, fear that someone could literally uh, die or be paralyzed, uh, have some other gruesome injury. Um, it, it just, I can put that all away uh, sometimes and enjoy a game. But if they start carting people off the field as much as often happens, I just, I think... I'll find out in the morning who won. I'll find out in the morning if this poor soul is going to walk again. As it turns out, I guess he is. Not as grievous an injury as it appeared, but he was left Heinz Field in an ambulance. And the game, of course, went on. <clears throat> I, I just, bleh. I don't know. So, I got a little more sleep than some of the ins. The news that I awoke to, other than the fact that the Steelers pulled off a win, is, uh, of course, this morning, the passing of Colin Powell, um, which saddened me. Uh, Colin Powell, a classic example of somebody who wasn't perfect and he made some made one huge mistake huge and he regretted it and that had to had to do with his speech at the united nations which furthered the now discredited propaganda of saddam hussein having weapons of mass destruction uh other than that extraordinary misstep, I think he lived a, a life of service and of honor, and he's uh, a good man. Unfortunately, the news of his death uh, says that he died of COVID and he was fully vaccinated. This has already been picked up 
by all the anti-vaxxers. Fox News today has already started noting, hey, ah, he was fully vaccinated. I thought fully vaccinated people weren't supposed to die. Eh? What's the point? Hmm? So, uh, his death creates uh, an opportunity for the anti-vaxxers to further their death-dealing propaganda. Colin Powell was 84 years old, and he also suffered from blood cancer. And an 84-year-old man whose body is already fighting cancer, and as a result, his immune system is is struggling to start with, is, I'm sure, the reason that despite his vaccination status, he succumbed. But those kinds of details and putting things in context, the fact that somebody who's unvaccinated has an 11, 11 times more chance of, I don't have to talk about this crap with you guys. Ain't no anti-vaxxers listening to me. It's just uh, sad. A lot of people thought he should be the first black president. Um, he didn't. <laughs> he might have thought somewhere in his head that, yeah, I could do that. Because he saw himself as a problem solver. But uh, I don't think he wanted to. And I don't think he wanted to subject himself to the political uh Rumble, tumble, tumble, rumble, rumble. I'm sorry. I said I wasn't sleep deprived. I'm sounding like I was. I am sounding like it's definitely a Monday. I want to, right before uh, the, the show started, I was being uh, deluged with the uh, that sound I so hate, that of leaf blowers gas-powered leaf blowers. Um, and I, guys, here's what I don't get. Here's what I don't get. When did a fallen leaf, or to be more specific, when did a collection of fallen leaves, leaves end up being thought of as some kind of an eyesore? That had to be had to be removed immediately. I mean, it's fall. You're supposed to see leaves. They're supposed to be underground. They're supposed to crunch when you walk on them. That sound of crunching leaves in the fall is 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 one of those sense memories that I have carried with me from my childhood. And it's a good one. I love that sound. I mean, when did nature, the natural world, become something we're supposed to fight all the time? This is, it's just the falling leaves are part of this wondrous thing called the cycle of life. They're not a light. They're just 
the next layer to be laid down at this time on this earth naturally. And there they were meant to stay. Aye. The idea, and I know there are people who actually look at leaves now and they see a defilement of their, of their lawn. That green carpet. That green carpet that requires poison to maintain and and has, in fact, yes, poisoned God knows how much life that we don't necessarily pay any attention to or see. So did leaves become the enemy? I'm just saying. I don't get it. And I miss the smell of the leaves of autumn. I miss the crunch, the sound. Damn. We are one messed up, messed up group. Hey, okay, I can see I'm getting... Um, I don't know what that meant when I just said I'm getting... I got to go to an obituary. I'm sorry. It's not Colin Powell's because uh, I just because I like doing obituaries of people that you don't necessarily know about. But there's something about their lives that gives you a good feeling. And that that is what I can say about this man. Gary Paulson. Never heard of him myself. Some of you may have, especially guys, I guess, because he wrote books, tons of books. And uh, most were written for <clears throat> young men, uh, young adult novels. I mean, his most famous one was called Hatchet and another dog song. And he talked about us humans in nature. And this guy would not have seen leaves as the enemy. <laughs> this guy, I'm quite sure, would have not liked uh, leaf blowers. I just know it. His subject matter, according to his New York Times obituary, often was man's violent collision with nature. And often the main character of his novels was a younger, maybe a teenage boy, raised in urban comfort and all of a sudden finding himself to fend for himself in nature.
I mean, this guy won a Newberry Award for his his work, which that's the biggest you can get. It says here he sold more than 35 million books. So he did something that a lot of people never do. He obviously made a living uh, doing what he loved to do. But listen to his life. Listen to how he got to where he was. He was born in 1939 as the world began to fall into the horror of World War again. He was born in Minneapolis, and his his father was a, a career army officer who obviously soon left and uh, served throughout the war on the staff of General George Patton. So this kid, Gary, was four years old, and he's left with his mother, who decamped to Chicago, and she went to work in an ammunition factory there. That was by day, she made bullets. By night, she dressed her four-year-old boy in a little miniature soldier's outfit and took him to the nearest bar where she made him sing on tables for money and to get men to pay attention to her and buy her more drinks. She was an alcoholic. Eventually, his grandmother grabbed him to get him away from his mother and sent him back to Minnesota but this time not urban Minnesota to the northern regions of Minnesota to live with an aunt and an uncle. And that is when he first met nature. He learned to hunt and fish and live outdoors to camp But it didn't last long. Somehow, his mother shows back up, grabs him. His father, now stationed in the Philippines and deciding to stay there even after the war ended, summoned his wife and child. And so Gary went off to the Philippines. didn't fly there. They went by ship, a Liberty ship, boarded it in San Francisco. And in a memoir that he wrote, he recalled that as a boy on this boat, he and the other passengers watched as a plane crashed into the ocean near the boat. 
he remembers seeing the plane's passengers struggling in the water. He remembers a pack of sharks descending on them and pulling them, men, women, children, below the surface. Now there's a instance of man meeting nature. Somehow he ends up back in uh, Minnesota where his parents continued to drink and fight. And to get away from them, he would just go off into the woods. He'd live in the woods. He'd hunt. He'd trap. He'd explore. They lived in a small town called Thief River Falls. And he worked odd jobs there, setting pins in the in the bowling alley, delivering newspapers. Used his money to buy a twenty-two caliber rifle. One day he ducked in telling a young boy to write down what he thought, giving him the tools to do it, the pencil and the notebook and giving him a library card changed his life. I wonder if any of us can, going through our lives, bump into moments like that. One encounter. One suggestion. that sent us in another direction, unexpectedly. And he was interviewed on NPR, actually, earlier this year. And when he talked about that library and that moment, he actually got a bit emotional, and he wasn't an emotional type. He said, it's hard to talk about it. It was a card with my name on it. And God, nobody had ever given me anything like that. Huh. That a library card could have such an impact. At 14 years of age, he ran away. And just classic. <clears throat> Joined, not the circus, but the carnival. He returned home a few years later, just long enough to forge his father's signature and join the army. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I get the impression of a, he's still a teenager. I want, you know, I can see why he was able to write for teenage boys, because as a teenage boy, he had already accumulated so much life and experience. 
and the Army trained him to be an engineer, and he later tracked satellites for a government contractor. He did a lot of stuff, and all along, though, he had been reading, as the librarian had told him, and he had been writing, as she had told him. And then one day, 1965 was the year, he decided, you know what, I'm going to write. And he left everything. He moved back to northern Minnesota. He rented a cabin in the woods, and he went to work. And he made just enough money to sustain a very, very simple life mostly living off of what he could grow and hunt. Fell in love with dog sledding. He even participated in the Iditarod. He said of that, when you run a thousand miles with a dog team, you enter a state of primitive exaltation. You're never the same again. Well, his books began to sell, sell, sell. And he just kept doing what he did. Never led a fancy lifestyle. He was a real Luddite. Not surprised about that. He was also a misanthrope. I'm not surprised about that. He liked to be alone in nature. He did marry, he did children and grandchildren, but he said this, and man, I so agree, and I'm a bit of a misanthrope myself. He said this, I don't have anything against individuals, but the species is a mess. He didn't like people. He didn't like humans much. And I understand that feeling. But as he says, he individuals could break through that. <laughs> but the species, it's a mess. He thought the internet was absurd. He said, what? So it's just stupid faster. Didn't go in for organized sports. He says it's become some, it's just kind of a perverse form of religion, which I think is true too. And then he says this, I mean, and I don't know, I can't think of a book that does this for me, but maybe you can. So I want to send this your way. It's the last quote from him. Adults, he, he only thought children had a chance. I mean, the only hope was in children because he said adults are locked into car payments and divorces and work. They haven't got time to think fresh. Name the book that made the biggest impression on you. I bet you read it before you hit puberty. Believe me, after I 
read that quote, I thought, I can't think of, I'm sorry, but I, I don't know. I can't think of a specific book that made an impression on me. But it is true, we are most open at that age, probably, to take things in. So anyway, I, I never heard of this guy and never read any of his books, but I I just I just loved the uh the story of his life. Uh Gary Paulson, uh dead at the age of, of eighty two. Hey, I guess right about now, uh, my congressman, maybe a lot of your Congress, you have the same one, Mike Doyle, he's been the congressman from this district, I don't know, since, what, the early 90s, maybe, long time, nice guy, I mean, I bump into him at events and stuff, I'm always calling him Mike Coyne, <laughs> awful. Not exactly a flashy guy, not a name anyone knows outside of uh, our little part of the country, but uh, I have it on pretty good authority. That would be Chris Potter, former editor of City Paper and delightful guest on this program, uh, said that he was expected to announce his retirement this morning. I mean, not retirement. Well, I don't know what it's called. He's not going to run again. And um, this is one of those things that, you know, is worrisome because you don't want Democratic seats up in uh, because the odds of us losing the House are pretty big. But there ain't no way that his seat, although you don't know what the Republicans are going to do gerrymandering things, but I can't imagine that that won't go to a another Democrat. Uh, there are two that we know are intending to run, and that would be uh, why am I Jerry Dickinson, who is a law professor at uh, at Pitt, who ran in the primary against him last two years ago and got clobbered. Um, but he's a very interesting guy, well-spoken guy. And the other is somebody who has uh, serves currently in the uh, state legislature, and that is Summer Lee. Both uh, Summer Lee and Jerry Dickinson are black. So that would be a, a change, and it would make one more black congressperson. Uh, and am I forgetting anybody, or will that be the first black Congress if one of them wins? Would that be the first black Congress person from Western Pennsylvania? Uh, I'm thinking it would. But when it comes to my memory, we don't want to trust it too much. Josh writes, good morning, Lynn. I just tuned in and missed who this interesting person is that you're talking about. The city of Thief River Falls. <laughs> oh, my God. Sounded interesting. So I looked it up on Wikipedia. 
and there's a Carnegie Library there, and he even has a picture. He's a beautiful building. Who would place Leaf River Falls? I mean, that sounds like it'd be such a tiny little place. Would have such an imposing library. Well, I'm sure that's the library he was referring to. Why wouldn't it have been? It sure looks like it was standing there in the, he would have had that experience in the early 50s. So, yeah, I'm thinking that's the library. Josh, well, thank you so much. That's fantastic. Hey, Josh, I I, I don't mean, I, I this is something I've, I've been meaning to say, uh, I mean, to point out, and I'm just seeing it here on your, uh, Josh wrote me from his, uh, emailed me from his, uh, you know, I think work program uh, uh, mail. And um, and so he's got, you know, a lot of inter- information to how you get in touch with him and blah, 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 blah. And he has his pronouns at the bottom. He, him, his. Here's what I want to ask, because this is a question that came up into my head the other day. If you're, why are there three? So he, him, is, means you're giving people the singular pronoun, he, him. See, my grammar stuff is, I mean, I know it, but I don't quite. I mean, if you start with he, aren't you, of course, going to have him and his? I, what I don't get is why do you have to have all three of those? He, him, his. I mean, it wouldn't be he, he, him, hers. <laughs> I mean, would it? So I, I don't get that part. I don't get that part. And if somebody tries to explain it to me, my head's going to explode. I can tell. I can tell you right now, my head's going to explode. I mean, you could really screw with somebody by saying, okay, here are my pronouns. My pronouns are she. She, let me see. She, hers, and I can't even do this because I don't even understand. So they're different. You know what I mean? I mean, if if you start with he, why wouldn't, oh, because somebody would all of a sudden want to throw in a they? I mean, I can see if you start with a they, you might for some reason want to say, no, if you start with a they, then you have to get into them and theirs, right? I don't get it. Does not the first pronoun pretty much uh, suggest what the other pronouns will be? God help me. God help me. Hey, I want, I, okay, I'm just, never mind, never mind. So this is something that has nothing uh, to do in particular with what I was just talking about. But I often like when people talking to uh, parents, especially parents of teenagers and young adults, I, anywhere from like, let's say, 14 to 29. And if the parent is freaking out because the child is just not, you know, they dropped out of college, 
they are wandering around and bewildered and lost. We had such high hopes, uh, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, a lot of parents, I always say it's a life sentence. A lot of parents serve really hard time uh, when their kids struggle uh, from puberty into uh, adulthood. Uh, I can, I can tell you with no, absolutely that my parents uh, did, uh, mostly because of me. And I, because of my life history, I always like to tell parents who's, you know, otherwise and had been promising young children all of a sudden become, you know, I don't know, lost, just wandering, lost, depressed souls while their friends are bypassing them, graduating from college, getting great jobs, marrying, all this kind of stuff. And to a lot of parents, when their kid gets stuck somehow, that is just unbelievably anxiety producing, understandably. And I, anytime a parent has said something to me along those lines, I always say, please, please, please relax. I mean, because I was such a, such a lost kid. It just took me longer. I didn't know I was meandering, wandering, bouncing from here to there because nobody I mean, this idea that it always angers me, this idea that we're all supposed to finish high school at the age of 18, from 18 to 20, whatever, you're supposed to be in college. And then you're supposed to get out of college and you're supposed to do this, that and the other thing. And you're supposed to like there's just some kind of a like a, a conveyor belt we're on. And it's ludicrous. Because we're individuals. We, we, we all are marching to our, I mean, no, we aren't. A lot of people, I've always been astonished. I'm sorry. I'm still sort of in a state of astonishment that I bumped into young people who knew exactly what they wanted. Well, I want to do this. And I'm going to go here, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. And they knew how many children they wanted, and they knew blah, 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 blah. I was I – mean, I couldn't – to this day, I don't know what I want. So that kind of goal orientation, I never comprehended it. It didn't mean I was a lazy bum. I, I just didn't know what it was I wanted. So I always like telling people, don't overreact if it turns out your child – is different, not on the conveyor belt, or has chosen to get off the conveyor belt for a little bit, because who doesn't want to? And I bring this up just so I can share this one little item uh, in a, a story in today's Post-Gazette about this uh, recent uh, guy who won the Nobel for economics, because he's a Pittsburgh raised Alderdice grad, and uh, his name is uh, Joshua Angrist. And re <laughs> reading his 
his sense of his childhood was delightful because he was not a good student. He was, you know, always, he was a screw up. And this is, this is the one thing I wanted to read to you because it's so in keeping with how people need to realize that, you know, you can't compartmentalize a, a human being into, you know, a, a program. This is, you are what age? Well, this is where you're supposed to be. This is what you should be thinking. Uh, everybody needs to loosen up. That's all I'm saying. Loosen up. I didn't graduate from college until I was mid-20s. Now, he said, while he was at Alderdice, he was not interested in learning. <laughs> well, in 11th grade, he opted out. Listen to this. He had a plan. He finally had a plan. It was get out of here as fast as I can. So he figured, I got to graduate early. I'm just got to get out of here. So he says he gamed the system. He opted out of any advanced or accelerated classes. He stacked his schedule with the easiest things that gave him the minimal requirements to graduate. Like he had in his junior year, he had two health classes, two gym classes. How do you do that? And uh, he had two English classes, which he enjoyed, and he got his diploma early. He did not have science, language, all that kind of He didn't want it. And then he started working uh, in medical facilities as a, as a lowly paid aide. And whatever, he little by little made his way. But so... I'm thinking, here is, this guy went on to win a Nobel. And he was not his parents, who still live here, by the way, would not have been the parents who were bragging about where Joshua, and what's Joshua doing? Well, uh, he, uh, he's really not into school. Listen, you know, and the parents are always bragging about their kids. Oh, someone did this and he went there and as if that is an indication that they are somehow worthy people. I mean, better people. It's just them being whoever they are. Great. Anyway, I'll stop not what I intended to do. What I am trying to do is avoid reality. The news reality. Jesus H. I mean, it really continues to be something I can't tolerate. Um, here's a headline. Ha! For Virginia Democrats, voter apathy may pose the biggest challenge. Okay, so this is a story about the latest hand-wringing by Democrats that, uh, you know, McAuliffe uh, running for governor there, uh, the election, November, what, second, third, 
um, is going to get beat by a by this Trumper Republican. Uh, and I'm thinking it is astonishing that there is a headline that suggests the Democrat Democratic voters are apathetic. Because if Democratic voters are apathetic now, in this time, I don't care if it's the race for dog catcher, then we're doomed. We are, again, that suggests that there are people who normally vote Democrat who don't see the importance of getting every Republican out of office that you can and and how it is like it's like an emergency because the republican party is a neo-fascist party they have to be defeated the soul the very future of this nation is at stake. And I know it sounds like, oh, come on, talking about a race for governor in Virginia, getting a little over the top, aren't you? No! Every race, school board races, especially right now, they're trying to take over school boards, left, right. Well, they already did that in large part, but they're really redoubling their efforts. Democrats asleep at the switch. Saturday, I opened up my New York Times and and was stunned because every time I turned the page, I mean, I never even got, you know how the New York Times, the first section after the front page then you head into like international. So it's like news from places Americans never pay any attention to. But I, I always have. So I try to keep up on what's going on. And so for those maybe first five, six, seven, every time I turn the page, there was another horrific story about something that had happened to a woman or women. And it was like reading this, like if you were to take home um, a lesson from that day's newspaper, it would be that men are killing women all over the world. It's like, God. There's one about women committing suicide in the South Korean military because the sexual harassment and assault in the military is so extraordinary and nothing is done to rein the men in that story. There's a story about uh, a Chinese woman whose uh, ex-husband, she was apparently on TikTok, I mean, doing something live. She was doing something live. He came in and doused her in gasoline and and lit the. I'm looking at a picture of her beautiful young woman, dead. It says the case has riveted China after a murder was live streamed. Yeah, she was on 
and he killed her. She had been trying to get away from this guy. He had tried to kill her many times. He had assaulted her. Yeah. So I turn the page. I think, all right, already. I mean, in the roundup of what I'm supposed to know about what's happening in the world, it's okay. South Korea, they're killing women. China, they're killing women. I get to the next one, and I turn the page, and it's Australia. About sexual abuse. In Australia, hey God, I remember I sort of, I got up and walked into my kitchen and started doing dishes just to get away from it. And then I thought, you know, damn it. I mean, what, what all of the headlines generally can be is men, men, are a clear and present danger. Men. I was decrying the species before. I did, I think we could even narrow that down. And I'm sorry, guys. You know, I, I love you. I love you. I'm back to the misanthropic uh, guy I was talking about, which is I, the species and that gender specifically are fucked up. Not all, because the individuals are wondrous ones, but geez. Now, Ray, I know you're, okay, Ray says, you're the only one who's answered, so I'll, I'm reading this. It'll upset people. Ray says about why does it have to be him, his, hers? I mean, now why, once you say the first one, why do you have to do that other, all those others? And he says the reason that they have three iterations of pronouns is it gives them three ways of expressing their pathological narcissism. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I mean, what's happening though is in organizations, uh, organizations, corporations, people are told that when you email as a part of whatever, the corporation or the nonprofit or whatever, at the bottom where your name and information is, you have, that's something you're supposed to put down. So there's plenty of people that are doing this to comply that, you know, I don't know. I want to talk, and I'm loath to go there. I watched the Dave Chappelle uh, Netflix uh, performance that is causing such a stir. Um, this weekend I did, and I took notes. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, he, uh, boy, I, I've always loved Dave Chappelle. And there's never been a time that I have watched him where I didn't get pissed off at some point. Uh, uh, if there's one thing he has always done, uh, it's uh, poke poke people where he knows 
he's going to get pushback. It's what he's always done. It's why I find myself in all the times I've, I think I've watched pretty much much of what's available that he's ever done out there. I thought his television show was ingenious, brilliant. I think when he deals with issues of race in America, he is hands down brilliant. But boy, something's a little off, I will say. It seems like he's – okay, I don't want to talk about it now. It seems like he's not – he's still I, – as I watch the one that's got everybody freaked, I can see why. On the other hand, I was offended <clears throat> a number of times in it, and um, I mean he spares nobody except himself. <laughs> that That he spares. And I found him less likable uh, with this than I have ever found him before. And I hope he's not hardening into a an angry old man <laughs> because there was a little bit of that going on. But we'll talk about it some other time. Maybe. I don't know why I'm avoiding it now, but I am. I want to save my anger. <laughs> There's a... Oh, do I have a caller? Hello, 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 hello. Good morning. I waited too long? Oh, hi. I'm so sorry. How long have you been hanging there? I just never see the. How long have you been there? About five minutes. Oh, that's not too terrible. But... No, it's not bad. Hi. Hi, it's Dave from Washington. Mm-hmm. I have called you uh, so many times and told you so many times I hold my nose and vote for the Democrats every time because I'm a liberal, so I always vote for the left-leaning um, – oh, there's a cat outside my window uh, – the left-leaning candidate. And my goal more than anything in the whole world is to block Republicans. And the only candidate that can block a Republican is a Democrat. Greens aren't going to do it. Independents aren't going to do it. Libertarians aren't going to do it. Only the Democrats, and I always use Katie McGinty as my excuse of why I'll never, ever register as a Democrat. But what's going on now is the exact same thing. The Democrats are the stupidest fucking people on earth. They've got, not the voters, not the voters, it's the people they elect. Talk about voter apathy. No, we're all fired up. Problem is we got these idiots to vote for. And they're the only ones who can stop the Republicans. They've got the historic opportunity to save the world, to change the world, to do something wonderful that's going to last generations, and they can't bring themselves to do it because they are so fucked up. You got Manson, who's self-consciously wealthy on fossil fuels. He's not Mm going to vote against his own best interests. No no profile and courage there. No, no, no. I'm not going to save the planet. Not just the country or, you know, we're talking about saving the fucking planet with green stuff. And nope, you can't do it. Nope, nope, nope. Best opportunity in the world. They cannot pass the reconciliation bill. They're doing nothing about voters' rights. 
that's going to go away. You know, such a big deal. But then I can do anything about it. Fucking Biden is incompetent. I, I held my nose and voted for him. Last person I wanted to run, but you got to vote for him. You have no choice. And he's going to lose. And we're going to get fucking Trump again. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And it's all well, I have to d- because of the Democrats. <laughs> well, no. yeah. Now you're painting with a pretty broad brush there. Because, what happens? Well, here's I'll tell you what's the problem is that the voters haven't elected enough Democrats. So you end up with Manchin being so powerful and able to block their agenda. Well, that's that, because they nominate that, people like Katie McGinty. Now you're getting back to her. Why did and they, and they don't bring her ask up me. all the time no, because she don't. is such a classic example of Republicans yeah, classic. nominating the wrong people and then Democrats, yeah. rub, Democrats and then Republicans yeah. meeting them. That yeah, is why. Yeah, yeah. I hear and you. Frankly, I hear you there. Biden in twenty four is no better than McGinty oh, in oh eight no. or whatever it was. You know, and I, I have avoided going there because in twenty four, who do we have? Yeah, nobody. I mean, I'm asking, who do we have? Are you going to, is our guy going to be this? I mean, he's old. He's too old. And so what, that then we have to drop down to his vice presidential choice? Kamala Harris, who I don't think is going to be a winner either. So who the hell, you're right, we are not positioned well for 2024. And and, and the wackos, they'll go out and vote for Trump. They're going to, you know, he's going to get, well, it's just so damn frustrating. Uh, it is so frustrating. Biden was supposed to be transformative. He was supposed to be F, or J, or FDR part two. And um, Well, the things he came up with are, but he can't get them through the Congress because right. he doesn't have enough power there. The yep. Democrats don't have power. Yep. That's it. And they are this fractured big tent party as opposed to a neo-fascist goose-stepping all-in-line party on the other side. Hit the, nose on, hit the nail on the head. That's yeah. exactly it. And those are our two choices. Somebody, a party that can't get anything done versus a party that I hate to think of what they would do if they were in power. Oh, my God. No, it's terrifying. End of the oh, we're all, we're getting little glimpses. We're, 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 it's terrifying. Yeah, it is. This yeah. is how it happens. We we'll read uh, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, William Shaw. No, I know. I know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is what we're saying. It's why I can't want to talk about any of it because we're heading there. That's why and I you see, I always said, how could this happen? You know, you'd say to it about Germany, how could that happen? It was an educated, wonderful country. What the hell? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And then, yeah, well, guess what? You're living it in real time. And now we have a stupid country with social media and TV. That's I think yeah. a lot of these people just think this is a game. That this is yeah, just I get another that too. TV, it's entertainment. Yeah, TV contest. Uh, who's going to win? And it doesn't matter. The, 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 the only point is winning. And you got a freaking reality well, TV star. Yeah, you know that's right. And I I have said for decades now that. Americans were trained. It took a while. It took the last 40 years. But we Americans have been trained that our job is to be consumers, not citizens. And once that's our – and we took to that. We took to that. Being a citizen is a pain in the ass. You're supposed to, what, care about things and 
thirsty. A consumer just gets to buy shit and and be entertained and be entertained. And so everything became we became consumers of entertainment. Exactly. Our news, our news is a form of entertainment. Yeah. January 6th for some of those people was a form show. of I mean participatory entertainment. Yeah. Yep. Like reality TV. show unbelievable for yeah, the reality show king. And I have to tell you, uh, I don't know that there's any pulling back from that except through some horrific conflagration. There's been a 40, 40 year burns effort. the whole place down. 40 year effort by Republicans to dumb down America. Uh, cutting tax. I always say, yeah, first off, you know where I work, you know what I do. Um, kids come in constantly to fill out all their paperwork, and I note every single time, kids, you don't even know how to sign your name. You know, illiteracy is coming back in the 20th century. And the parents all say the same thing. They don't teach penmanship in school anymore. So I always say, well, apparently they don't teach it at home anymore either. There's been this if, – if some two people are running for school board, one says, I'm going to put penmanship back in class. I'm going to put the arts back in. I'm going to put band. I'm going to put extracurricular activities. All this stuff that we've taken out over these past 30, 40 years, we're going to put that all back in school but I have to raise your taxes to do it. The next guy stands up and says, I'm going to cut your taxes. <clears throat> Who's going to win the election? And so these programs get cut from the public schools and our kids grow up and they literally cannot sign their names. Literally. 75, 80 years ago, these same kids are flying B-17 bombers over Europe. Today, they can't sign their names. There's been this effort to Make our kids stupid, make them consumers, make them watch TV and play on the Internet and ride on the hood of cars drifting down the road and falling off and smashing their heads. This is what they want. This is what they got because a stupid society is a compliant society. If you don't question things and they've taken critical thinking skills out of all these schools because they say it undermines parental authority. When your kid says, you know, Dad, I think what you believe is a bunch of bullshit because what I learned at school, well, Dad freaks out about that and you know, goes to school board and complains. And look at how they're complaining nowadays. Instead yeah. of these people going to school boards and complaining, hey, teach my kid how to sign his goddamn name, they're bitching about critical race theory that doesn't even exist in the public schools. Or math. You know, <laughs> your kid Sorry. is semi-illiterate. You're <laughs> I've had too much coffee today. No, I know. You are on It's an epic rant. And, <laughs> but before the entire audience, uh, you know, slits their throats, would you, would you get the hell out of here? I'm serious. I got one more call I got to squeeze in. All right, I, I got to go. Epic. epic. Goodbye. Anyway. Thank you. Bro. I'm sure you do. Goodbye. That's... <laughs> I mean, we hardly have any time left. I, I've got, I've got, I'm not going to get to all you callers, but can I let's let squeeze that somebody in here? Hello, hello, are you still there? Hello, hello, hello. Yes. Oh, hi. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I uh, we, totally disagree with the whole analysis. I think we're going to win more seats. And I made a prediction last time. He said Biden wasn't going to win. He won. So I want to make a prediction. We're going to win more seats. Is what we're going to, first, we're going to start with McAuliffe. We're going to win that one. So this this is down. Oh, look at us. Look at us. Nope. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. 
we are going to win. Now, 2024, we have Shapiro, who could run for president. We can find a lot of lists. I could, you don't have the time, but I give you a list of names. So this negative thing in Biden, remember, he pulled us out of Afghanistan. He's a hero in my books. So he might not be the greatest, but damn it, he's better than any of the other ones they've had. Look at Bush and all them. So, you know, I can't turn on the man. You can't turn. You just got to go out and vote. You can't rally. You can't march. You just got to fucking vote. And that's it. Simple as that. And if you just know the world's coming in, then you're going to lose. You got to, we're going to win. We're going to win more seats. We're going to do it. So that's how I feel about it. They're not going to win. Well, I think, and Trump, okay. Okay. Trump's going to give him a run because he's going to probably be dead by then. He, he's not that well as it is. So I'm not worried about him. It's possible we could have another you know, nominee. I don't know who, but I don't worry about him at all. We won't have Trump again. I could guarantee. I'd bet money on it. We won't have him. That's just how sure I am about it. All right. Well, we got uh, the party he, he, he made over. And uh, that's frightening enough. Whether if Trump goes, something even worse is going to take his place because it'll be somebody smoother and not as much of a clown. Somebody who really is a neo-fascist and really is going to get things done. That's my concern. Anyway, I love your optimism. You used to be the. Right, uh, I well, I went. I know. Pay me that way. Yes. <laughs> I'm serious. Remember how he started getting real kidding? angry? It was a medication. I'm not lying to you. It was a medication. I think I don't take it anymore. And I used to wake up in the Thank morning pissed off. And I couldn't. And I'm not that type of person, really. I'm not. I, you hear me on the show. Wow. I'm really not that. And it's. It so you're okay medication. without the med? But the med was not. Yes. Pre- well, well, whatever. I'm glad. Jeez. I think half the world would say we quit taking some of these medications. They'd probably feel better. I think it may be so. Bigger. That's my my. Maybe uh, so, maybe so. Hey, thank you. And I'm we're uh, we're way over time. I got I got to run. Thank you. (laughs) Bye, bye. Well, wow. Started out slow and meandering, and uh, ended with a bit of a bang. Thank you all for being there. And uh, I guess tomorrow, uh, Susan should join us, and uh, we'll be off and running again. Have a good day. Enjoy the sun. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.